Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode, the first of many hopefully, of the Native Use Podcast. My name is Torian Philpot, and I will be your host on this journey through wine, through agriculture, through farming. Just a little bit of uh, background on me and uh, in this podcast. Um, I've been working in uh, restaurants for the last 10 years or so through college um, and as a wine buyer and sommelier <clears throat> and on the wine side of things for the last three to five years um, and that was a result of, uh, of catching the wine bug. Um, this podcast is one that <clears throat> is a platform where we um, talk about some of my favorite wine regions and some of my favorite winemakers um, and more so winemakers that I feel might not get the attention that I think they deserve. Um, Throughout this podcast, um, we will uh, look through uh, regions, winemaker styles, grapes, and so forth. So without further ado, let's let's dig into the podcast. I wanted to take this first podcast um, as a opportunity to look at one of my favorite winemaking regions in the world, um, one of the winemaking regions that truly uh, was an epiphany winemaking region for me, and that region is the Rhone Valley. Um, the Rhone Valley, located in the southern part of France, uh, south of the city of Lyon, um, kind of juxtaposed between the two villages of, or towns of Vienne in the north and Avignon in the south. Uh, the Rhone Valley, the Rhone Valley is, uh, is an extremely important winemaking region, as many winemakers may know, uh, mainly for uh, Chateauneuf-du-Pape, um, roughly translates to New House of the Pope, um, and was ironically the first AOC in France. My love for the Rhone started um, with a bottle of 2010 La Pellier Gigondas, um, a collaboration between arguably America's greatest ever importer in the form of Kermit Lynch um, and the Brunier family who own and run uh, Chateau uh, View Telegraph. Jugendas, uh, located in the Southern Rhone, um, is an area that I love, and I think for lovers of the Rhone, if you haven't taken the time to explore Jugendas, I definitely think it is worth the time, um, especially for lovers of Southern Rhone wines that maybe want to step up a little bit from Côte de Rhone, um, or maybe are lovers of Chateauneuf du Pape and want to find something that's a bit less expensive but I believe a bit um, or as good in, in quality uh, for the most part. This 2010 uh, Gigondas I actually tried while <clears throat> working at wine tasting. Um, this was at the infancy of my wine knowledge um, and experience in the business. Um, it was actually um, at the recommendation of a uh, 
of a guest, of a patron that uh, that was beloved at the place I was working. Um, we opened this bottle of wine and decanted it, and it was kind of a side-by-side as we were doing this uh, Rhone tasting. And the moment I put my nose in the glass, um, it spoke to me. It, it was everything that I wanted to smell in wine in general, especially red wine. Um, it had a meatiness to it. It had an earthiness to it, um, which I didn't know I liked at the time. But through smelling this wine, I realized really quickly, okay, um, this is something that I really love. Um, it had these beautiful red fruit and kind of pepper notes and floral notes. Uh, <clears throat> that kind of spurred me on to want to explore the Rhone a bit more. Um, and I then found the Northern Rhone and it was all uh, it was all exploration from there. It was all down there from there. I was hooked. Um, I then found arguably one of my favorite, if not my favorite winemaking region in the world, which is Cote Roti. Um, Cote Roti is located at the northernmost part of the Rhone Valley, um, around the village of Ampuy. Um, and the most notable name from Cote Roti would have to be uh, the Guigal family. And they're arguably one of the most noteworthy names in all of the room, um, making the Lala wines that have gained a lot of critical acclaim over the years and are very hard to find. Um, Cote Roti, meaning roasted slope. Um, I, I was just, I was hooked. Um, this bacon fat, this, uh, this, this beautiful kind of red plays off of black fruit. Um, and the story behind Cote Roti uh, was something I found myself attached to as well. The, the story of this dignitary having two daughters, uh, one being blonde, one being brunette. As the blonde got married, he gave half of his vineyard holdings to her, and that became the Cote Blanc. Uh, as the brunette got married, he gave the other half to her, being the Cote Brun, um, and finding that the wines from these two um, kind of microclimates um, express themselves so differently all while using Syrah with a minor implementation um, from time to time of Viognier, co-fermented. If you haven't tasted the wines of Cote Roti, they're some of the most ethereal, thought-provoking wines um, that you ever taste. Within the sommelier world, um, wine professional world, Northern Rhone wines are some of the most beloved and sought after. Um, they're incredible with, with food, they age beautifully, um, and they're just wines that really make you think. Um, and for me, with my first kind of epiphanies in wine coming from the Rhone, um, they are wines that truly just grab a hold of you and, uh, and take you on a journey. Um, in future episodes, um, there will always be a trend of myself featuring a region and or a winemaker, sometimes a different region than a winemaker, but always um, a feature of both. Um, and the winemaker that I want to feature today is Bernard Gripa. Bernard Gripa um, makes wines from two 
uh, great Appalachians within the Northern Run. Um, one which is beloved and really, really known, and one in which I feel he makes his greatest wines that are not so uh, that is not so known. Um, the red wine appellation that he makes wine in is Saint Joseph. Saint Joseph is located is the biggest winemaking region in the Northern Rhone, um, and he is located in the village of Mauve, which is uh, pretty much right across the river from Hermitage. Um, Hermitage being this legendary hill making profound wines, um, you know, the likes of Jean-Louis Chave and, and, uh, and Michel Chaputier, um, Paul Jaboulet, finding themselves making exceptional wines of Syrah, Massan and Roussan uh, from the Zille of Hermitage. Across the river you find Saint-Joseph. Now Saint-Joseph is a huge appellation one that spans from just south of Condrieu all the way to Conas. Um, they can make both white and red wine in San Joseph. Um, Bernard makes solely red wine from the village of San Joseph. He makes uh, two different bottles, um, one just being his San Joseph and the other one being his San Joseph Bercio. I believe I pronounced that right. Um, his standard Saint Joseph, um, both being made of 100% Syrah, his standard Saint Joseph being kind of the entry level expression of uh, what Saint Joseph has to offer, but a great wine nevertheless. I definitely wouldn't say it is an entry level expression of Saint Joseph. It's definitely a, a serious wine, a wine that, um, that is definitely fruit driven earth-driven. Um, the oak doesn't really show itself in that manner. Definitely more of a uh, vin de table uh, or table wine um, as you would find in the, in the Rhone Valley. And then his Bercio being a more profound expression, more oak, um, <clears throat> older vines, a bit more attention to detail shown there. Um, that brings us to another point about the Northern Rhone and about Saint Joseph. And that is that um, Bernard Reaper and a number of other uh, producers, uh, namely the likes of uh, Jean-Louis Chave, are making their Saint-Joseph from quite old vines. Um, in the New World, old vines are in the range of 35 to 40 years old. Um, in France especially, and, in, uh, and even more so in places like Australia, your old vine cuvées are going to be coming from vines of the 60 to 80, sometimes 100-year-old uh, range. And that's crazy to, to think of um, that, that many years um, in the ground producing incredibly intense fruit. Old vines, for that matter, uh, produce lower yields um, of more intense fruit. Um, and therefore are more sought after and the wines are a lot better. Um, <clears throat> but for me, in the discovery of Bernard Gripa, I was truly blown away by his whites. The Lupin and Le Figier uh, bottlings are, in my humble opinion, and part of the reason why I even started this podcast, are just truly exceptional expressions 
of white Rhone wines um, made of Marsan and Roussan, but more so just profound expressions of the other village that he works from, um, and that is Saint-Péré. Saint-Péré is located um, and, and in somewhat the kind of sister village to Konas. Konas has risen in the last number of years, five to eight years maybe, to become one of the truly sought after uh, winemaking regions in the Rhone Valley and especially in the Northern Rhone. Um, guys like Thierry Allemont um, and Frank Baltazar are making these incredible expressions of single vineyard plots from Konas that are sought after the world over um, low intervention, uh, little to no sulfur in, in some cases, um, and truly exceptional wines. And once again, brings us back to um, the reason why I even wanted to do this podcast. Um, and, and the reason why I called it native yeast was this expression of place, was this low intervention uh, outlook, this um, just taking what, what Mother Nature has to give you, being a shepherd of, of that fruit and allowing what Mother Nature created in the vineyard to translate itself in the cellar and then into the bottle. Um, I first found Bernard's wines um, about three years ago and I must say, having had some of the kind of more profound and sought after um, expressions of white Rhone wine, especially the ones made of Marsan and Roussan from Hermitage and from Saint Joseph and so forth, uh, these wines are some of the absolute greatest white wines that I think are found in the world and definitely in the Rhone. Um, so, once again, he has, he has two bottlings from Saint-Péré, uh, one being the kind of more um, everyday, kind of structured, um, and slightly less powerful bottling in uh, Le Pan, and then he has the La Figière, which is the kind of more um, high horsepower, um, in-your-face, dense, complex um, of, of the bottlings. Now, Saint-Pierre only produces white, uh, white wines, and the only produces wines of made of Marsan and Roussan. Uh, Le Pain is predominantly Marsan um, with some Roussan, and Le Figier is more Roussan, less Marsan. Now, what does that mean? For me, and I, and I think the way that most people say Masan expresses itself comparative to Rusan, is that Masan is a bit higher in acid. These are, neither of them are, are very high acid grapes. I definitely would say they're more in the medium bodied uh, Masan, uh, Rusan for that matter, kind of showing itself on the less acidic standpoint and are definitely more known for their richness and their ripeness of fruit and the roundness in the mouthfeel. Um, so as you can imagine, the Le Pain is a, is, it has a bit more acid, um, it's slightly leaner, um, but to put that into perspective, um, compared it to something like Sauvignon Blanc or even like Pinot Gris, 
these are definitely body-wise and expression-wise more on the scale of Chardonnay. Um, very rich and very dense. Now that doesn't mean that every expression of Marsan and Roussan is gonna be like that, but definitely coming from Sampere, grown on those granite and clay soils. And in the style that Bernard is making these wines, they're definitely a bit fatter and rounder, um, but also very mineral driven, great fruit, um, great aromatics, and um, a decent amount of acid. So, I, I found, I found uh, the Le Pan, like I said, about three years ago. Um, it was a 2012 vintage, and I found that to be um, this incredibly thought-provoking wine. Uh, dense and rich on the palate, um, medium and acid, this kind of beautiful um, nutty component that's inevitably coming from uh, oak usage. He doesn't use much new oak, but he does use a little bit. Um, but just very dense and very, <clears throat> very kind of mineral driven and, and beautiful fruit. And I found everything to be in balance. Uh, and then the Lafigier being more Roussan is even more dense and kind of oily, um, as you'll find with Roussan and Marsan and Viognier for that, uh, for that standpoint. Um, these wines are, are, are definitely white wines, I would say, um, transcend the common thought of, you know, red wine in the wintertime. I think these are white wines that, that drink more to the palate of, of red wine drinkers um, and would be exceptional with, you know, foie gras if, you, if you're going that route, but for a more kind of like home chef look, um, definitely kind of an oily fish, maybe like a grouper or, or something of that sense. Um, another producer that I wanted to talk about in reference to Saint-Joseph um, and, and this Northern Rhone that I don't think gets enough, enough um, attention is Domaine Blanchon. This is a producer that's producing wine in the village of Saint-Joseph as well, only producing red wine and producing a few different cuvées um, from this wine, uh, from Saint-Joseph. All 100% Syrah, uh, grown once again uh, on granite um, in, the, in the village of Mauve um, and just making profoundly exceptional Syrah some of the best expression of Northern Rhone Syrah and at an absolute steal of a price. Um, the Northern Rhone wines, in my humble opinion, I think the reason why they've never gotten the time of day compared to the Southern Rhone wines, um, if I had to think of one kind of, you know, parallel between the two that caused the Northern Rhone wines not to kind of have as much prestige in most cases as most of the Southern uh, Rhone wines do is price. Uh, Northern Rhone wines are notoriously um, pricier. Uh, to even, you know, get an entry-level bottling is much higher um, than the Southern Rhone. Now, some producers are changing that. They're producing these kind of Vindipai wines um, or are, you know, declassifying and making these other bottlings that that you can get at a um, 
at a more uh, feasible price. But to really get the, you know, to really start getting into the first level of real quality and what I would consider a great expression of the wines of that region, you, there's definitely a higher price point than the Southern Rune. Um, but Domaine Blanchon, uh, producing phenomenal wines. Um, and their top cuvee comes from a monopole, uh, which means they own the entire land themselves, which also isn't uh, found uh, to be something you know regular in in uh, in France. Coming from you know 80 year old vines from this monopole, um, and the bottling is just phenomenal. For those that love red wines, I mean you you get all of that. Um, that kind of beautiful um, meaty character and floral character and a great density of fruit. Um, absolutely exceptional uh, wine making there. Um, and you can, you can find that wine for 30, 35 bucks um, if, if, you can, if you can find it. Um, so yeah, that's our, uh, that's our first episode. Um, I hope you I hope you enjoy uh, like share um, tell your friends about it um, this is going to be a very exciting journey through wine uh, through through exploring wine um, let me know if you have any favorites from the Rhone Valley that that you want to share that you would like me to cover um, and happy drinking <laughs> <laughs>